Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. I, I love to teach God's Word, and I consider it the highest honor. Um, I take it serious, but it's just, it's really great to be here, and uh, I know we're just getting to know each other, so, um, you know, first and, for, and foremost, please lower your expectations. That'll be, that'll be helpful for me, okay? But um, in all seriousness, I, I really do, I enjoy teaching God's Word, and so um, thank you for, you know, being here to listen. And I pray that it'll, uh, it'll do what God's word does. So, but it's kind of funny because they were, they were asking me, okay, you're now on staff. We want you to teach this week and come up with a sermon. And so I said, oh, okay. And I started thinking about it. And of course, me being a little backwards, I come up with a sermon out of the very last gospel and not just the last gospel, but the last chapter of the last gospel. And, uh, you know, Pastor Mike and Jeremiah and Lyle and all these guys, they kind of know by now. They've spent enough time with me. I'm a little backwards, so it's okay. I'm a little backwards. I do things a little backwards. We're going we're gonna to be in John 21 today. Um, but you can't really blame me, okay? And, and you can't blame my mom, my poor mom. She was in labor with me for like two days. You know, I'm not exaggerating. I used to send her sympathy cards on my birthday because of <laughs> how hard it was. But not only that, I came out backwards. I did. I was born breech. So... So like I said, you can't really blame me, but um, I, I, I just kind of, this trend just kind of followed me. I remember when I first got into reading, um, it was about fifth or sixth grade, and I discovered these Hardy Boys books. Do you guys remember any of you? Those blue books? Man, I love those things. I read them all. And I used to, I was a little strange even back then, okay? But I used to read by candlelight, and I'd read... Just, and I'd have to go to school the next day, but I'd be reading these Hardy Boys books, and there'd come, I, there's a cliffhanger, you know, there's this tension in the book, and it's like, oh, I gotta get to sleep, I got school tomorrow, so I'd give in, and I'd look at the back of the book, you know, I'd go to the last chapter or two, and I'd read it, and I'd, okay, now I can sleep, now I can rest, you know, and that, that's kind of followed me around, you know, um, and in, in a way, we're, you know, we're going to be looking at the, the Apostle Peter, and so I can kind of relate with him that way. Some of my prayers in life are, Lord, please make me more like Peter. And, and then, then the next breath, it's, Lord, please help me not be like Peter, you know. So, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to cover John chapter 21. And even though I joke about it being the very last chapter in the last gospel, it's a chapter that stands on its own. And it's an important chapter because it tells a complete story. But if you read John chapter 20, you know, it's a nice even number, 20. Um, if you read John chapter 20, it, it would have been a great place for the Lord to stop his word. It would have been a great ending to the gospel of John. Gos the gospel of John is my favorite gospel. It's a powerful gospel. It talks about the glory of our Lord coming and dwelling among us. But the book itself, it could have ended in chapter 20. When you, when you think about chapter 20 of John, there were a lot of things. We saw the tomb. We saw the resurrection. Mary Magdalene sees the Lord. The apostles get their, uh, you know, their, their calling. Um, Thomas makes that famous statement, my Lord, and my God, after touching his scars, which is just a beautiful thing because the Lord doesn't rebuke him. The Lord receives his worship, telling us what? He is who he says he is. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And so it's, a, it's an amazing chapter, and look at how it ends. John chapter 20 ends with these two verses, 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I mean, that's a pretty good place to stop a book. 
I mean, that's a pretty good ending. I mean, wouldn't you agree? We're getting to know each other, so, you, you know, sometimes I ask for you guys to, to talk back. I know it's church, you know, we, we, we understand the dynamic, but, you know, I think this is a beautiful place to stop. But thank God he didn't stop. You know, because just like those Hardy Boys books, we have some, some tension. We have a cliffhanger. Because here's, here's the crazy thing. Um, you know, if you remember, Peter, the last we saw him, what had he done? He had denied the Lord. He denied him three times. He said he'd die for him, and yet he denied him. And he ran off. And in Matthew 26, we read verses 31 through 35. It says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And that last statement, and so said all the disciples, it was Peter leading the way. He was a leader. It was one of the reasons the Lord called him. He was a leader. But we have a problem here. Because that's the last thing we see of Peter. And then when we jump over to the book of Acts, what happens? Peter's this great hero of the faith. You know, he's there casting lots, not that he should have been doing that for Matthias, you know, to, be, to replace Judas. But we also see him preach that sermon on Pentecost where about 3,000 people are saved. We see him and John doing these miracles in the streets, getting people saved right and left. We see them go before the Sanhedrin. And then in Acts chapter 12, we see this remarkable story where James has just been killed for his faith. And then Peter, he's told he's going to die the next day. But what's he do? He's sawing logs between two guards. In Acts chapter 12, Peter's like, well, you're going to kill me tomorrow. I'm going to sleep. You know, it's just remarkable because he becomes this great hero of the faith. But we have a problem. Because no other gospel account tells us that Peter was restored. No other place in the Bible does it say that Peter was restored to ministry. So if John chapter 21 wasn't in the Bible, we wouldn't know what happened. And again, I'm so thankful for John 21 because... You know, it's often called the restoration of Peter for good reason. It's a great chapter, uh, and it is the restoration of Peter in the ministry. However, I want to caution us a little bit because, you know, often, and, and this is, makes sense, when we study the Bible, when we look at the Bible, it's from a human aspect. It's from, from our humanity, right? I mean, most of us are humans in here, right? <laughs> most of us? You're supposed to be the service that's awake, you know? Saturday night, they needed coffee. This morning, I was thinking, well, I don't know. But I was like, I can count on the 1030 service. They're going to be awake. So <laughs> is it just me? I don't know. Maybe. Um, but, you know, John chapter 21, it's this beautiful thing because it's more than just a human story if you think about it. You know, if you hear, you know, we, know, we all know the story of the prodigal son, right? I mean, we all know that story. It's, it's an amazing story. We have, we have this guy. He takes his inheritance. He goes off. Lives wild, ends up in the mud with the pigs, you know, and he says, you know, I'll just go home. My dad's servants live better than this. And we know he, he comes home, and the Bible says that the father sees him afar off and runs to him and kisses him and gives him his robe and his ring and throws him a feast. And it's this amazing story. And one of the scholars I read talked about the Jewish traditions. You know, in that, in that culture, if a son dishonored a parent that way, 
They had the right, the men at the gates of the city had the right to stone that son to death before he came home, before he get, got through the city gates. And so I, I don't know, it's a little bit of speculation, but I think about that when I read the scripture that says he saw his son afar off and he ran to him. And you know, I think a better title for that story rather than the prodigal son is the story of the faithful father. You know, I know we look at it from a human point of view and that, and that makes sense. But it really is the story of a faithful father. And right here, the same thing. John chapter 21, it, might, it, it is the restoration of Peter, but it might also be called the heart of a savior. Because if you think about our Lord, what did he do? Why did he even come in flesh? He came to restore you and I to a right relationship with the father. He signed a peace treaty in his blood so that we can be reconciled to, the, to God Almighty, to the creator of the universe, to our Father. And so I think it's a powerful message in John chapter 21. It really is the heart of a Savior, the heart of a Redeemer. And, and don't get too worried, even though we're going to cover the whole chapter, and that's just the introduction, we're going to go through this pretty quick. It'll be like trying to, trying to take a drink through a fire hose, but I promise we'll get through it. If you would, stand with me. I'm going to read John chapter 21. I'm going to read the first seven verses, and then we're going to dive into this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going all with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is, the, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. Father, this is your word. Lord, let your word penetrate our hearts and our minds. Lord, pour out your spirit upon the teaching of your word and let our ears hear the truth. Help us to be reconciled with you in every way today, Lord, and help us to be changed. That's the promise of your word, that it will not return void. And so, Father, we, we proclaim that and we receive that promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So John chapter 21, the restoration of Peter, or a better title, the heart of a Savior. It starts, you know, Peter never lets us down, does he? He never lets us down. It starts with Peter doing what Peter does. Look at verse 1. It says, after these things, and, and what things are we talking about? After everything in John chapter 20 and before that, the crucifixion, the resurrection, his appearance, Thomas's declaration. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and we know that's the Sea of Galilee, or it's more like a lake. But, and in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now, you know, when you read, I read some old commentaries because I like to, I like to dive around into some stuff that's 
you know, from the 1800s and things like that. And I found some interesting things. Number one, you know, the number of perfection or completion is seven, God's number. And we see that often in the scripture. And here we see seven disciples are being spoken about here in John 21. But not only that, one of the scholars um, was talking about how there are two others listed here that aren't named. And he said that really includes the whole church. And the way he put it is the Lord always invites us in to his word. And so that's me and that's you. You know, and I, I think that's kind of neat. I'm, it's not one of those things I hang my hat on, but I just think it's neat to, to really think about how the Lord, his word is so special and invites us in. And I'm careful about this passage because when it says Simon Peter said that I'm, I'm going fishing. You know, there's a few ways to look at this, and, and there's speculation over this. Some say Peter was just hungry. He was just bored. He was just anxious, you know. And so he's like, I can't sit still. I, I need to go do something. So he went down fishing, and they say, it's not a big deal. You know, he's just anxious. He's just bored. He's just waiting for the Lord. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but um, just, again, we're getting to know each other, right? So... I'll share a little bit of me. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I would get in trouble sometimes, you know, a few times. I'd have to go to the principal's office, okay? I was my poor mom. I told you, you know, she's, she's, she's in heaven now, but there's a special place in heaven because of me and my dad and my brother. And, but, you know, you just wanted to get it over with. You know, it's like you're sitting there, or maybe the dentist. I don't like the dentist either. If you're a dentist, forgive me, but I've had too many root canals. And, you know, you're sitting in the dentist's office, and you hear screams in the back and drills. <laughs> I know that's my imagination, but it's like that's what I hear when I go to the dentist. I'm sitting in there, and I'm like, oh, I just want to get this over with, you know. Um, and there might have been some of that with Peter, you know. He just, he, know the Lord, he knows that the Lord is coming to visit them, and he just wants it to be over with. So maybe he is anxious still. Others say, you know, he's being disobedient. Peter's being disobedient because after all, in Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus told the disciples to go to the mountain in Galilee where he told them and to wait for him there. Well, you, you can't fish on a mountain. And in Israel, it's more like a hill. But, you know, so Peter's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to wait here. I'm going down. I'm going to go to the, the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to go fishing. And so some say he's being disobedient. And still others say, well, this is a picture of, of Peter going back into his old life. You know, after all, the Lord called Peter out of fishing, didn't he? Remember in Matthew 4? He told Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so some say he was, he was backsliding. He was going back to his old life. He's going back to his old ways. And so was he hungry, bored, and anxious? Was he being disobedient? Was he going back into his old ways? Yes. <laughs> I think, again, this is what I love about God's word. You know, God touches us and, and reaches us exactly where we're at. And that's what I love about this passage. Because if you're, you know, anxious, if you're disobedient, none of us, right? You know, if you've backslidden, this speaks to us. That's how powerful God's word is. I mean, we don't know for sure. But as I study this out, I think it's very interesting. But here's another, another very interesting thing. Look at this. In verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now there's some hard truth, some good truth, though, in this verse. You know, first of all, again, Peter's a leader. We know that. He's the one who stood up and said, I will die for you, Lord, I will do, you know, and he was always jumping up front. He was always doing, you know, what Peter does. He was a leader. 
But the bottom line is all of us are leaders in some way, shape, or form. You think, no, I'm not a leader. Yeah, you are. You're a leader in some way, whether it be to your kids, your grandkids, people around you, people in the church, friends, relatives. It doesn't matter. We all are leaders in some way. And I think one of the most valuable lessons in this passage is whenever we choose to sin, whenever I choose to sin or you choose to sin, whenever we go backwards, whenever we're disobedient, we never do it alone. We always take others with us. Always. There's no exception. Well, my sin's just mine. You know, it's all, it's not, it's not isolated, especially in the church. We're connected. You know, and I think that's, that's a, a great warning for us. You know, whatever I choose to watch on TV, I take others with me. Whatever I spend my money, my time, my resources, I take others with me. It's just a matter of fact. The other thing about this is you look at this passage, you know, they go down there fishing, they follow Peter, and what happens? Nothing. (laughs) They caught nothing. Zilch. It was fruitless, right? In this case, fishless. You know, it's fishless. They caught no fish. Nothing. They went out immediately, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And that's another lesson. Whenever we go backward or we're disobedient, it's fruitless. It's fruitless, at least eternally. Even if it's, you know, I'll make some money in the natural or something good in the natural, in my opinion. You know, when I'm going backwards, it's fruitless when it comes to spiritual things. It's fruitless when it comes to eternal things. You know, one of my favorite sayings is that, you know, any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to swim up. That's what, you know, it's a fishing motif here. So I guess I got fishing examples. But, but it's true. And so if you're not going forward in the Lord, what are you doing? There's no in between. Not with the Lord. When we go backwards, it's fruitless. But you know, one of my favorite Bible studies to ever do, and I just, you'll hear this a lot from me, is but God. Those two words. But God. It's impossible for a rich man to get in heaven, but God. You know, things like that. All through the scripture. When God shows up, amazing things happen. And look at this. John chapter 21, what happens? God shows up. My Lord and my God. He shows up. Look at verses 4 through 6. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children. I love that. We'll come back to that. Children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. You know that old saying, it's always darkest before the dawn? (laughs) You know, that came from somewhere. But it's true. I mean, you think about your own life. How many times have you and I, you know, we're, we're waiting on the Lord, we're getting impatient, and then finally he shows up. He shows up right at the right moment. And it's usually, again, getting to know each other, it's usually, in my case, I'm sure it's not this for you, but it's usually when I finally give up and say, okay, Lord, <laughs> I yield, I yield, and he shows up, you know? And, but there's another warning here because, you know, the Lord in Matthew 24, he told us, he gave us a warning. He said, don't be one of those who go back into sin because you think your master delays his coming. You know, when we put that in the context of our Lord, 
You know, I know people who, who complain, you know, they talk about whenever we talk about eschatology and about the Lord coming, the rapture, things like that. They're like, ah, you guys have been saying that forever. They get tired of hearing it. Or people who just get tired of the church and tired of serving and they go back into the world. You know, what a warning for us. Don't get tired of doing good because here's the truth. And I'm always going to remind us of this. The Lord Jesus Christ will be here soon. He's coming. He will be here. One day, one morning, one night, the Lord is going to show up. So don't be one of those who go back into the world. Be one of those as when, when he comes, I don't want to be ashamed at his coming. That's what the scripture talks about. Don't be one of those who are ashamed at his coming. Yeah, you'll be taken, but I want to finish strong. I don't know about you. I'm sure you do too. But Peter didn't wait, but God showed up. The Lord showed up. And their efforts have been fruitless. Here's another thing, though, I want to talk about. You know, they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. It could have been the distance, right? But we're going to find out later. They, there was something different. And I think about the, the story of the road to Emmaus. When Jesus, after his resurrection, remember, he's walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him either. This is, this is strange. I, that's another thing I love about the Bible is we can't figure it out. We can't put God in a box. If you have God figured out, that's probably not God. <laughs> you know, I would never want to worship a God I can figure out. That's what's so incredible. But remember on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize Jesus until he broke bread. And some suggest maybe they saw the scars that he keeps forever in his hands. Or it could be, I mean, he's God. He could just block them from knowing who he is until he, he wants them to know. But it's mysterious. It's, it's incredible. Um, but there's a familiarity here because Jesus, remember when he called Peter and some of the others? He called them back in Luke 5 where he told them, hey, you haven't caught anything? Take your nets out into the deeper water and throw them out. And Peter, you know, he's being Peter, and he's like, okay, nevertheless, captain of the boat. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what it's saying in the language there. And he goes out there, and they do. They catch more fish than they can handle and starts breaking the nets. And now here, they do the same thing. They literally remove the net. If you go to Israel, they have a boat there from the first century in the museum, and it's kind of neat. It's only about eight feet wide. So, so think about this. The Lord's like, I know you guys haven't caught anything. You've been fishing all night, but move it eight feet on the other side and drop it in the lake. You'll catch plenty of fish. I mean, think about that. But that's another lesson for us. You know, we can be think, you know, we, we think we might be serving the Lord. We might be doing right. Sometimes it takes a readjustment of about eight feet. You know what I mean? It's like sometimes we're a little off. At least I am. The Lord, he'll correct us. He'll redirect us. But there must have been something familiar here to John, especially because look at verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved. I'll just wait. I gotta, you know, John says this a lot, right? You know, there was this weird dynamic between him and Peter. It was kind of like this competition, remember? Yeah, we ran to the tomb and I beat the old guy there. You know, he's like, I beat Peter there, but you know, I'm just, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, and I'm the one Jesus loved. And, you know, I'm the one that laid on his chest and Peter's probably rolling his eyes and uh, John the beloved, you know? <laughs> so I just think it's hilarious. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in, a little boat, for they were not far off from land, 
but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And here's Peter. You know, the first thing he does, he'd taken off his clothes to fish, right? And so he puts on his outer garment. It's the Lord, after all. He's covering himself up. And isn't that like us? You know, when we mess up, we try to cover it. We try to cover ourselves up. It shouldn't be that way, you know. We should just go to our brother, our sister, you know, pray about things, get over it, bring everything into the light. But Peter tries to cover, but that's reminiscent of Adam and Eve, isn't it? If you think about Adam and Eve, what happened when they sinned? You know, they covered themselves, right? They invented clothing for Pete's sake. I got a few people this, okay, so let me, for Pete's sake. That's, a, that's one of those jokes. And last service I was thinking, well, it's just me because nobody's laughing at those, so I realize it's just me. But you guys are a little better because a couple of you laughed. Saturday night was like, what are you talking about? But seriously, if you think about it, that is our natural inclination is to cover ourselves. But this is what I love because this shows the heart of somebody who really does want to be restored. That's the Lord. He dives in. I I don't know if he thought he was going to walk on water again, but I doubt it. You know, he dove in. I'm not waiting. This is a man who wants to be restored. This is a man who desperately wants to be restored. Verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And altogether, there were so many, the net was not broken. So this time the net's not broken. Last time it was. I don't know the significance in that. I've tried to find out. I've tried to search it out. But again, it's God's word. And, you know, one of the things about studying God's word, when you come to these things that you don't really understand, like 153 fish, anybody know why? It's 150. I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I've searched so many commentaries and I've, I, I've read some, you know, it's a, a fish motif. So I've, I've read some whoppers. You know, it's like. Some of these guys, they, well, if you calculate the sum of 17 and it's 7 and 10 and then you calculate each number, it comes to 153. And I'm just like, first of all, I was never that good at math. Second of all, it's like, really? I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe so. But, um, but God's word is so amazing that way. You know, when you come to a place that you don't really understand, put that in the back of your mind. Just pray about it. And usually one day the Lord will give you insight into that. You know, I love that about his word. But here's what I also love. Yeah, Peter, he swims to shore. And then you know, the other disciples, including the one that Jesus loved, you know, they come to the shore, but they don't bring the net of fish up. Peter runs down as a leader, grabs the net, and drags it up himself. But here's what I love. And remember earlier when I told you Jesus called them children? I love this. This is, this is an amazing picture. Because Jesus, the creator of all things, our Lord had prepared breakfast for them. He had already cooked fish and bread. Now, do you think the creator of the universe is a good cook? Do you think that fish and that bread is any good? It's probably the best fish and best bread ever, right? But what does he say to them? Bring some of yours too. Bring some of your fish too. Remember when he, he took the little boy's uh, loaves and fish and, and divided them among and it multiplied? You know, that, he didn't need to do that. He didn't need to do that. Just like he didn't need them to bring their own fish. But this is what I love. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, kids, you participate too. 
I want you to participate. You know, that's a beautiful thing. Jesus doesn't need our help. He wants it. He wants us to participate. And I, you know, I think about it. My boys are all grown up now. But when they were little, I used to love having them help me with projects, you know, and yard work. And they usually <laughs> caused me more work. You guys know. If you're parents, you know. But I didn't care. I just wanted to spend time with my boys. Teach them lessons, talk to them, listen to them. And they always felt so proud. They'd tell mom, oh, I was helping dad. You know, I did this. And they, it was always bigger in their own mind, you know. But I see some of that here with Jesus. He's saying, hey, come and participate. Give me some of yours. Give me some of your fish too, kids. But then he invites them even further. I love this too. Verse 12 says, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. So he makes them breakfast, but then he invites them to, to dine with him. And, you know, I am so glad that the Lord incorporates this into our fellowship. You know, if you think about it, you know, we joke often that we're called Calorie Chapel, you know, because a lot of food involved, right? But it's not just this church. It's not just Calvary Chapel. It's not just, it's multitude of churches. God's people tend to get together in fellowship and break bread. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. There's something really special when families get together and talk about the Lord and, and share a meal or with a brother or sister in Christ. You know, when you think about the feasts of Israel, they're not really the feasts of Israel. They're the feasts of the Lord. He ordained them. They, you know, he did this from the very beginning. He incorporated this fellowship, the food. There's something special about that. And so Jesus, he invites them again to participate with him. Yet there's something mysterious here. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Again, look at verse 14. We know they've already seen him before, but what's going on here? This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. But why is it they, they know it's the Lord by his actions, but what is it about him that has changed? You know, and, and I'm careful about teaching God's word, and, and I always want to tell you when it's my opinion, so this is my opinion, right? James chapter 3, Lyle was telling me a story, he you know, he doesn't like when I talk about him from up here, so I'll talk about him. So, he, you know, he told me the story when he first got asked to preach by Pastor Mike. It was James chapter 3. <laughs> Those who teach the word will be held to a higher standard of judgment. I just laugh. I said, it couldn't happen to a better guy. So, but I do take that serious. And so, you know, when I'm looking at this, I don't know for sure, but something fun to think about is this. You know, the Lord... He's perfect right now to them. You know, and he's perfect anyway. But he's brand new. He probably looked amazing. And you know what I love about that? The Bible says when we see him, we'll be like him. We're going to get new bodies. And, and some of my twisted theology that, that, you know, I'm a short guy, a little bit of a short man syndrome. And the Bible says those that are first shall be last and those that are last shall be first. Okay, you see where I'm going with this? I'm going to be like nine feet tall in heaven. But there won't be any arrogance, so I can't look down on anybody, you know. It'll be like, but I love what one pastor says. He says, you know, it won't matter, you know, what we do for the Lord. Somebody will be a gallon of milk. Somebody will be a quart of milk. But both will be completely full and satisfied. And I love that. But, you know, the last time, I mean, they'd seen him twice before when he revealed himself. But recently, right before this, how did the disciples see Jesus? 
crucified. He was beaten. His beard was ripped out. He was bloody. And he was hanging on a cross. And so, you know, maybe that was the last image in their minds and they couldn't get it out of their minds. Or, you know, you think about the Lord. You know, he spent the hypostatic union. It's this beautiful word in theology. It means nothing to most people, but it's simply that he's fully God and fully man. You know, it tells us he had to grow in wisdom. He learned things. Um, and, you know, he worked as a carpenter in the weather. I'm sure in the Middle East there, you know, he probably got pretty dark, pretty tanned. His skin, after that many years in the sun, could have looked like leather. He probably didn't look like he did now. And now he's beautiful to them. He's perfect. And they're like, yeah, we know this is the Lord, but there's something different. But could you imagine that breakfast too? Because all of the disciples there had failed him in some way. It might be a little tense. It might, you know, it might be. And Peter's probably like, Lord, will you just say something? You know, he's probably looking up, eating his fish. And he's, it's probably a little tense. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, they ate the bread and fish that morning. I doubt not in silent self-humiliation. Peter looked with tears in his eyes at the fire of the coals, remembering how he stood and warmed himself when he denied his master. Thomas stood there wondering that he should have dared to ask such proofs of a fact most clear. All of them felt that they could shrink into nothing in his divine presence since they all had behaved so ill. You know, and so I'm, I'm sure, you know, how many times have we failed the Lord? And it breaks our heart, you know, and, and it's like the last thing we want to do is raise our eyes up, lift our heads up. But then Jesus turns his gaze upon Peter, and he begins to talk to him. And this is one of the most profound things in Scripture, I believe, this conversation. It's profound. He looks at Peter. Look at verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And what's he talking about more than these? You know, some people say he's talking about the fish that are laying there. Peter, do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than who you used to be? Do you? Do you love me more than that? And I mean, I suppose that could be true. And some say he's talking about the other disciples. Peter, do you love me more than these sitting here? You know, I kind of lean towards that. And I'll tell you why. Because this is the heart of our Savior. Total restoration. He's going to check every single box in Peter's life to restore him. And remember the declaration in Matthew 26? Remember what Peter said? Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Even if they all desert you, Lord, I won't desert you. I'll die for you. And the inference is what? I love you more than them. They might cower, but not me. Not Peter. But notice something else. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He didn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. Because he's not acting like Peter. Remember how Peter got his name? Matthew 16, I believe. He's standing there and the Lord says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal you this, but my father in heaven. He says, you're no longer going to be called Simon. You're going to be Petros, which means stone or pebble, a chip off the old rock. He says, and on this Petra, I will build my church. And not to get into too much theology of that, it's controversial, right? 
He's not saying, I'll build the church on you, Peter. He's saying, I'm Petra. Jesus says that. I'm the rock. You're a chip off the old rock. You're a stone. Petras. But here he calls him Simon. Because he's not acting like that solid rock that Jesus proclaimed he would be. And I think it's interesting, too, because although Simon's dad's name was Jonah, he uses that as well, right? Simon, son of Jonah. And we know Jesus talked about Jonah in the New Testament. And we know he's another biblical character, right? He's another fishy character, right? (laughs) Jonah. I know that joke's a little flaky. I get it. All right. See you. All right. We're getting awake. It's almost lunchtime. So, so the thing is, is, you know, I think I really do. I believe that Jesus is no word in the scripture is there by accident. And he's not calling him Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Do you love me more than these? That's in verse 15. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, for those of you who've studied this out, you'd probably know where I'm going with this. You know, the English language has issues. You know, Hugh will back me up on this. English has some issues. You know, I love pizza. Don't you? I love pizza. I love football. I love my wife. I love my kids. (laughs) It's not the same form of love, is it? At least it shouldn't be. And I, like I said, the earlier service, if that's your case, if you love pizza and your wife the same, we're going to talk after service. You and I, we're going to pray. <laughs> we're going to get through this. But, you know, in the Greek language, there are at least five major words for love. And when you understand that in this passage, there are two words being used here. Agape, which is that godly love, that perfect love that God has for us and that we should have for God and that we should have for each other in the church and others. And then there's phileo which is a fondness or friendship. And so when you look at this, when you see what's actually being said, it brings everything into context. Look at this. The first time Jesus looks at at Simon and he says, Simon, do you agape me more than these? Do you agape me, Simon? That godly, that perfect love. But Simon's response shows that a man has been humbled. Because Simon says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Think about that. The Lord asked him, do you agape me? And Peter's been humbled. This shows the heart of a man who's been humbled. Lord, uh, I'm not going there again. You know I phileo you. And then Jesus, first thing on the list, what's he say? Then feed my lambs. You know, in the church... We need to make sure we're feeding the little ones. We need to make sure we're teaching the next generation. Excuse me. We need to make sure that we're teaching new believers. I think it could be also talking about new believers, but primarily we know how Jesus loved the little ones. And we need to be those who teach the little ones. I know me personally in my life, again, we're getting to know each other, so I'll share some, some things about my own life. But, you know, I became a Christian at nine years old. Now, I did go backwards and backslid my teenage years and 
Man, I was an idiot. We won't even go there, though, because, you know, I don't want you to judge me too harshly. But, um, you know, I went back. But the thing is, is the Lord brought me back around. And some of you probably have similar stories. I never forgot the truth of his word. I never forgot the truth of the gospel. He was always with me. He never left me. And I came back around in my early 20s and started living for the Lord. But it's important that we teach the little ones. It really is. But the second time he says, Simon, do you agape me? And again, Peter has been humbled and he says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Then tend my sheep, guard my flock, is what he's saying. But this is where it's just amazing. The third time, this is powerful. Jesus comes down to Peter's level the third time. And don't you know he'll do that for us. He'll meet us right where we're at, no matter what we're going through. No matter what you're going through today, Jesus will meet you exactly where you're at. In this third exchange, Jesus says, okay, Simon, do you phileo me? Do you even phileo me? Do you? That's what he's asking. Okay, you've said this, but do you? Do you phileo me? Are you fond of me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. Again, showing us that Peter's been humbled. And it's powerful. Like I said, not only because he comes down to our level, not only because he came down to Peter's level, but remember, he's restoring Peter. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? Three times. And how many times has the Lord now asked Peter to reaffirm his love for him? Three times. And it's written down, it's been written down for the last 2,000 years and for all eternity that Peter was restored three times. The Lord's perfect in his restoration. The Lord is perfect in his restoration. But then he goes on in verse 18 and 19 to drop some hard truth on Peter. You know, Peter gets this blessing, but then he hears this. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself up and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would, be, he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Whew. So he's restoring Peter, right? And then he tells him, by the way, when you're old, you're going to die. <laughs> For me, you're going to be stretched out. And we know this is true. We know from history, Peter would be killed outside the city of Rome by Nero for his faith as an old man. And, and the story goes that Peter said, I'm not worthy to be hung right side up like my Lord. And so he requested to be crucified upside down. And so he died. He was stretched out and he did die as an old man outside the city of Rome. And you know, before we, we think, oh man, this was hard. Why would Jesus do this? I think he's still restoring Peter. Because remember what Peter said. Even if all these others deny you, I won't, Lord, and I'll die for you. Another proclamation Peter made that day. I will die for you, Lord. And notice, Jesus said, you're going to glorify God by your death. You're going to make it, Peter. You're going to do what you said. You're going to be the rock. And you're going to die for me. And it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. Even if it doesn't look that way now, it's going to be a huge blessing. Because you're finally going to be the man you want to be. And you know, it's not how we start, is it? It's how we finish. You know, no matter where you're at with the Lord, no matter what's going on in your life, it's not where you're at right now. Finish strong. 
Finish strong. Today's a new day. You have breath in you. Finish strong. Finishing strong, it starts right now. No matter where you're at. And don't you love that about the Lord? He's always looking to restore us. He's always looking to encourage us. He's always looking to make us into that rock that we so desire to be. But I love the story of Peter because like I said, he's up, he's down. Please, Lord, make me like Peter. Please, Lord, make me not be like Peter. You know, it's like he's up, he's down. And then in a lot of ways, when I was studying this out, I was thinking about my own dad, you know, growing up again, my mom, we're getting to know each other. So you got to have compassion for my mom because she put up with a lot. And I think she probably has the Guinness Book of World Records for rolling her eyes at a single individual. And I'm talking about my dad because he was he was worse than us boys at home. Like we broke everything in the house. My poor mom, my dad, he was he was a lot like Peter, though. He's always willing to serve. He was the first to jump in there and serve. And, you know, when my mom was getting ready to go home be with the Lord, she was in a hospital across the country, and I'd call her every day and get to talk to her. And it was such an honor and a privilege for a son to talk to his mom about the Lord and how she was going to meet Jesus soon. It was just, it's one of the greatest honors I've ever had. But we would be talking, and she says, oh, Marty, you got to do something about your dad. And he's there with her, so he's snickering and laughing in the background. She's like, he's driving me crazy. you got to do something about your dad. Because he was there constantly serving her and helping her. And then she started talking about her leg was hurting. And before anything else could be said, you can hear my dad go, oh, I got it. And he called my mom Joycey. Her name was Joyce. I got it, Joycey. And he's rubbing her foot, her calf, you know. And my mom and I are still talking. And then he goes, okay, is that good? How's that feel? How's that feel? She goes, it's great, Marvin, but it's the wrong leg. <laughs> I, just, I think that's so funny because in a lot of ways, you know, that's Peter in a nutshell, you know? You know, he was always willing to serve. You know, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus is there with Moses and Elijah. <laughs> I think I'd be a little freaked out. That's Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Uh, you know, and, but what's Peter do? Hey, you guys need a house? I'll build you a hut. You know, what's going on? Jesus is like, come on, Peter. Calm down. But I love that, you know. But, but Peter, he is the one who says, I die for you, Lord. And the Lord's saying, you know what? You're going to glorify me. And one day you, you will. You're going to finish well, son. You know, old cars, when you're restoring them, you know the Camaro, the, the school's raffling off. After I win that, you guys, I'll give you rides in it. You know, I'll give you a ride, maybe some of you. There's a few people. Lyle, I don't know. You know, but... But Lyle's good. You know, he keeps me humble every day. You know, he tells me at least five things I need to work on. This morning, I told him I wouldn't say too much about it. I don't care. Here's the thing. I walk in, and he's like, oh, you Mr. GQ, huh? I'm like, you've never seen khaki pants? I don't think he's seen khaki pants before. I normally wear jeans, but he's like, I'm like, Lyle, these are just khakis. These are just khakis. You guys have no idea how much trouble I'm in. So, um, But, you know... Lyle's a servant, you know? Many of you in this church are servant. It's intimidating, the talent that's in this church. It's a pretty amazing, it's an impressive thing. But you know, old cars, they need restoration. They need to be fixed up, and it takes time, it takes money, it takes effort, it takes blood, sweat, and tears, right? It just does. We're no different. The Lord's still working on us. Let Him have His way. You know, I used to do body work as an elective in college I, to fix up this old pickup. I took, uh, I took auto body. That's a lot of work. But you know what? You learn to love it. And you know that process that we go through with the Lord refining us? Learn to love it. Because you'll never regret the Lord changing you, ever. 
Not once. Peter, he's still a work in progress, and we see that. Look at verse 20 and 20 through 22. Peter doesn't let us down. He proves that he's still a restoration project. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. <laughs> Peter's standing there. He's sitting there. He's like, Lord, what about this guy? You tell me I'm going to die. What about, what about John the Beloved over here? What's, you know, what's going to happen to him over here? You know what I think about, you know, back in the day when my brother would do something. It was never me. You know, my brother would do something. And then we'd both get in trouble. But really, I'd get in trouble. And I'd be like, what about him? He started it. He did this. And, you know, my parents weren't listening. You know, they just, okay, maybe, maybe it was me sometimes, I guess. But, you know, Peter, what about this guy? And I love this because the Lord's like, don't worry about him. You just follow me. You just follow me. And there's another great lesson. You know, when we stand before the Lord, nobody else is going to be there with us. At the Bema seat, we're going to stand there with him. In that empty space, in naked humility, just us and the Lord. It's not going to be your brother, your sister, anybody else. Don't worry about other people. And here's the beautiful thing about the church. We're all called to different things. Like I said earlier, there's so many talented people in this church. It's intimidating to the point where it's like you look around and you go, man, I wish I had that talent. I wish I was like Jeremiah or Lyle or Hugh or some of you know, in the different areas. You know, I start to look around and I go, man. It's pretty amazing. But here's what's beautiful about the church. We're all called to be who we're called to be. We're called to be who the Lord called us to be. And if we walk in that, we'll be most satisfied. When I try to be someone else, someone I'm not, I'm miserable. But when I'm who God called me to be, I'm never, I'm never more satisfied. There's no time in the church to be jealous or be angry with each other or to try to want to be like somebody else. Be who God called you to be. It's a great lesson. And then John, he clears up some rumors here in verse 23. Um, you know, there are cults that actually teach that John's still wandering the earth. You know, because they, they don't, I guess, read the entire Bible. You know, John says, Then this saying went out among the brethren, that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? So he clears it up. And then... Chapter 20, again, like I said, it would have been a great way to end the Gospel of John, but I'm so thankful that it didn't end there. And look at the last two verses of this chapter. This is an incredible ending. This is the, the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Now that's an ending. We have a God that cannot be contained. He cannot be contained by my theological box. He cannot be contained by my, my anorexic love. He cannot be contained by anything or anyone. He is the creator of all things. And what an amazing thing is that he invited us into relationship with him. You know, we're going to do communion, um, and you guys know better than I do. You know, I'm still fairly new here. 
uh, the guys will come up and then you guys will come up through the center aisle and then go back to your seats and hold on to your elements because we'll take them together. But something I want you to ponder as another beautiful song is being played is, you know, all of us, that same question applies. For every believer here today and watching online, Jesus would ask us, do you love me? Do you love me? In what way do you love me and how much? And you know, as the music plays and as we're getting ready to take communion, I just challenge each believer to think about that. Do you love him? How much and in what way? And if you're a non-believer and you're watching online and you're here, it's today's your day. Receive the free gift. Jesus died for your sins. God became a man and took your sins upon himself so that you and I could be with him forever in brand new bodies, in a glorious kingdom. And you know the question I have for you, for you to ponder, non-believer, is the same one Jesus asked Peter. Who do you say that I am? Do you know in essence, every single one of us are gonna be judged according to that question. Who do you say that I am? Father God, as we prepare our hearts, to take this communion, the bread and the cup, Lord. Help us to recognize who you are. And Lord, help us to remember that you died for us. And that Lord, the only way we can love you is that you first loved us. Lord, help us to remember this today as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, Lord. Help us to remember who you are and what you did for us and why you're the only one in the universe who deserves our worship. Lord, we praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.